Hi. I love you guys. I love Jesus. I'm so glad that I get to be here sharing this morning. Uh, I planned this talk, this message, this sermon, this teaching over a month ago. And I felt that it was something that God wanted me to share this morning as I had my chance to share with you guys. And it turns out that it's more applicable and pertinent than I ever imagined. So I like uh, when God kind of makes it obvious that he's part of the deal as well. Because then it's a lot easier, like being in the, from this uh, platform, from this standpoint, it's a lot easier to speak when you have something to say as opposed to when you just have to say something. And that's something that I learned from one of my teaching professors is don't speak because you have to say something. Speak because you have something to say. Well, I want you to know that I think that God has something to say this morning, and I'm looking forward to being with you and sharing it with you. Uh, when I was in college, my freshman year, my dad, uh, we kind of had a strained relationship just because I was kind of a punk, and uh, I was going through some stuff with some relationships, with finances, with figuring out what I wanted to do with my life, and uh, I just had a lot of questions and a lot of angst and a lot of frustration, and my dad came up to me and he said, Dave, could I have permission to share one piece of advice with you? And this was at a time in my life when I didn't want advice, particularly from my parents. And I paused long enough for him to continue, and he said, Dave, I want to encourage you to read the Psalms. What? Yeah. Right there in the middle of your Bible, in the middle of your Bible, buried in some closet in your room, I want to encourage you to read the Psalms. There are 150 Psalms, little chapters in the Bible, right in the middle, and it doesn't even matter which ones you read. Read the Psalms, because those Psalms were written by people who were in dark places, people who were feeling overwhelmed, people who were stressed, people who were being unfairly treated. They were written by people who were sad, depressed, anxious, frustrated, with global chaos going on around them, and they wrote these psalms. And he said something beautiful about these psalms is the honesty that the authors have before the Lord. God, where are you? God, I don't see you anywhere. God, how come everybody else that's not doing things right is prospering, and here I am stuck in this pit? How can all of this be happening if I'm supposedly your child? I want to encourage you guys to read the Psalms. Just kind of pick a few out and just read them. And if you can, read them out loud because it's so great because most of the Psalms or a lot of the Psalms start off with, God, where are you? God, what's going on? God, I need help. I'm ready to end it all. And then about halfway through the Psalm, there's this little word called Selah when it's like this thoughtful pause. But I kind of view it as, and another thing, Lord. <laughs> And just like my father took that four-second pause to speak, God will often take that pause. And then he reminds those psalmists, those authors who are in dire need and desperate situations of immediate help and lasting hope, God speaks through them. And they say, but God, I know that you are good. I know that you are just. I know that my life is in the palm of your hand and so on, and so on, and so on. 
The wonderful thing about this is that God loves our honesty. He knows what we're thinking. He knows what concerns us. He knows where we're afraid or panicked or frustrated or depressed or hopeful. He knows that stuff. Then why should I say anything? Because he loves hearing our voice. And he loves hearing our heart. So it's okay to yell and fuss as long as we give him a shot to enter that painful place, to enter that place of fear, to enter that place of panic, to enter that place of uncertainty in the unknown, to speak eternal truth from a God who does not slumber or sleep and a God who is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. God is good and faithful and true. And I'm going to read to you today one of my favorite psalms. Thank you, Dad, for introducing me to this psalm. And I want to encourage you guys today to take some notes because this psalm is a psalm of hope. It's a song of hope for God being our provider, being our shepherd, for knowing what we need before we ask, and for being the hope that that does not disappoint. So I'm going to ask you to feel free to take a few notes because maybe you're isolated by yourself. Maybe you're with family. Maybe you're with friends. This is stuff that you can process because we got a little bit of time to do that this week. You know what I'm saying? So we might as well take advantage of it and remember some of the things that God might be sharing with us today through his word. But before we move on, I would like to pray. So let's do so. Thank you, Father, for being good and faithful and true. Thank you for knowing what we need before we ask and being present in the middle of our storm. Thank you for having the world in your hands and not being afraid to enter the mess with us. Thank you for going ahead of us and for being our rear guard. Lord, you know what today holds. You know what next week holds. You know what, you know what we need. And we trust you. We want to trust you more. Perfect love casts out fear, and I pray that you would fill us with a tangible measure of your perfect love and your hope that does not disappoint so that fear would have no place in our hearts and in our minds and that we would be proactive presenters and proclaimers of truth, love, and hope. We ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, so Psalm 23, which many of you have heard, I want to read it to us. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. All you guys are thinking about dwelling in a house forever? Dude, I am done dwelling in the house. Okay, but this is, this is good. This is not like a quarantine sentence here. This is, this is a better house, a bigger mansion with new bodies and no virus. Hallelujah for that action. I'm into that. So, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not be in want. See, now David was chosen as a young 
man as a teenager to be the king. God anointed him king, even though he had six or seven older brothers who were all doing kingly things and strong things and handsome things and busy things and important things and strategic things. When the prophet came to David's family's house to choose a king for the Lord, the Lord didn't choose any of those. He chose David. They actually had to go out into the field. They had to go find David. And the prophet said, we won't rest until he gets here. And as soon as David came hustling in, the Lord spoke and said, this is the king. Anoint him. In front of his brothers, David was anointed to be the king. Wow. David knew what it was like to be a shepherd. He knew what it was like to be a leader, but he also had the humility that God required for him to lead God's people. David possessed both authority and humility, and God chose him to be the king. The Lord is my shepherd, he says. And in parentheses, he speaks, and the shepherd is my Lord. God needed someone more than just a person who could watch sheep and handle large groups of animals, but he needed someone that was able to submit to authority, to the better and higher authority, which is the Lord, as he led God's people. So God practiced with sheep, and David didn't even know it. See, that's the beauty, is that God allows us to be faithful in small things so that he can give us responsibility for greater things. And what greater pleasure and greater privilege is there than to partner with God in his plans with his power? Yes, please. Would you choose me to do that? If you're willing to choose me and take a shot at me, I'm willing, God, to say yes to do whatever it is that you want in my life and in this hour for your glory and your name's sake. My trust is in God alone. Everything we ultimately need is found in God. I want to talk to you a little bit about contentment because David says, I shall not be in want. Now, David wanted things. He was a good shepherd, but he realized that the things that he wanted didn't compare to the things that he needed, and everything that he needed was found in God himself. I have something here. Not sure you can see it, but uh, we were taking some time this week, I don't know, maybe some of you were as well, to dig through some old storage boxes and storage closets that we haven't gone through in years, and uh, came across what are now referred to as dumb phones. So these are some of the original phones. Like, here is my first cell phone. Um, wow, you could actually change the battery. Look at that. And I don't know about any of you, but I was, I was pretty amazing at the snake game. Uh, so uh, this was pretty special. And then I got caller ID. Hey, Sarah. You're such a dork. Okay, she still says that, but... Uh, and then my wife got this little fancy deal. A little green machine, a little slider. Ooh, it's got a little QWERTY. I don't know how you can fit my fat fingers in there, but that was pretty special. Um, and then our kids. Oh, oh, the pain of children who want smartphones, who want many things that, <laughs> that all of their friends are getting. Dad, I want a smartphone. I need a smartphone. And everybody's getting a smartphone. And my, I mean, all of my friends' parents are buying them a smartphone. Well, why don't you give me a list of all of your friends and their parents' numbers, and I'm going to check it out with them. Well, we would give our kids 
non-smartphones. That would be our gift to them. <sighs> but this way, how can, I, how can I keep in contact? What if it's an emergency? I said, you know what? This is a perfect phone for an emergency. You can dial 911. You can call me. You can call mom. You can text us. <sighs> but I want to do all those other things. Yes, I know what you want to do. But I don't want you having all of those things when you're going to a sleepover. I want you to have what you need to be able to contact us if you need something urgent. <laughs> they wanted something more than what they needed. And I remember when I gave my daughter, Mary, her first phone. And I was not prepared for the response because we were going to wait till she was a certain age and she was being responsible and helpful and she had just come to realize that she wasn't going to get a phone until that age. But for her birthday one year, before that age, I wanted to honor her because she had been faithful in little things. And I wrapped this big phone, or this, <laughs> I guess it was a big phone, but <laughs> I wrapped this big box and put it in there and, and she's opening it up for her birthday and she opens up the phone and she just immediately starts bawling. And I said, isn't that the one you wanted? No. <laughs> and, uh, and she just came over and she just held my neck. And she said, thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. And then she started touching it. And she's been doing this ever since. <laughs> you know, I was the one who could provide that phone. I was the one in that moment of her life that could allow that permission. And I was the one that gave her that gift. And she has honored me and that gift in so many ways, in so many different uh, aspects of her life. And I'm just so grateful uh, for that moment. And the Lord loves when we respond with gratitude to the gifts that he gives us. Contentment helps us to see everything as a gift and every struggle as an opportunity. Godliness with contentment is great gain. In 1 Timothy 6.6, godliness with contentment is great gain. I have a difficult time being content because... I'm an American, and because I want what I want, and I want to spend what I want to spend, and I want the new thing, and I want to eat the second helping of everything, and I just want, 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 want. It's just so easy to want what you want and to pursue those things, and you miss out on the things that you need the most. Peace and contentment. Those are things that cannot come from things. So I want to pray at this moment. We're going to be praying... A, couple times throughout our talk here, but I want to I ask you to join in this prayer and receive this prayer if, if you need a greater level of peace and contentment in your life. Lord, thank you for the peace that you give that passes understanding. Thank you that when we realize that you are all that we want, we can finally discover that you are the good shepherd and you are all that we need. Would you let us be content in meager circumstances, in difficult times? Would you let us be filled with gratitude, not grabby hands and lustful eyes that want more? 
Would you let us have that inner peace and that deep, rich contentment, knowing that you are the good shepherd, and in you, we truly have everything we need. Amen. The next verse, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. All right, I'm going to read a little bit here, uh, Uncle Dave's story hour. So, uh, camera folks, I'm walking. And uh, this is a book that I was given by my parents. And it's the first book that I read when I was an adult. It's A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. I've read three books since then. And this is written from a shepherd who walks through Psalm 23, and I know that some of you have read this book. I want to encourage you to read this book because it's so rich with um, description on what it means to be a shepherd and what some of these words that we might not understand really mean to one who has cared for many, many sheep. Philip Keller writes, the strange thing about sheep is that because of their very makeup, it is almost impossible for them to be made to lie down unless four requirements are met. First of all, sheep refuse to lie down unless they are free of all fear. Also, because of the social behavior within a flock of sheep, a sheep will not lie down unless they are free from friction with others of their kind. This is a lot like people. Third, sheep will not lie down if they are tormented by flies, bugs, mosquitoes, or other parasites. And then finally, sheep will not lie down as long as they feel the need of finding food. They must be free from hunger. So getting a sheep to lie down is a tricky thing, and it relies solely upon the ability and the prowess of the shepherd to meet those requirements. Because if a sheep feels friction, if a sheep feels that it is in danger, or that it is going to be distracted, or that an enemy might come in, or that it might not be able to have their food, the sheep will shut down. Sheep are not super smart animals. And so the shepherd needs to make sure that those requirements are met. Otherwise, those, those sheep will starve themselves even though sitting on a green pasture. If they are fearful, if they are being distracted, they will die in starvation sitting by water and in grass because they won't relax enough to let the shepherd protect them. And so once the shepherd, who is a good shepherd, makes sure that they are free from these things, then they are truly able to lie down. And when a sheep lies down, when a flock of sheep lies down, it is a very rewarding thing for a shepherd in that moment because they knew that they have done a good job and their sheep will feed on rich ground. Now, shepherds are also known among other shepherds. And so you get used to, well, I don't know this, but I mean, just in reading and researching that some shepherds were just known for just getting by and just, you know, they were... They were raising their sheep up till they would be sheared or maybe butchered, and then they would bring on the next sheep. And so it didn't really matter to them how well the sheep were taken care of. And if some of them died along the way in a storm or eh, whatever. But see, a good shepherd would create an environment where their sheep could lie down in pastures and near quiet water. 
God has given us the gift of Sabbath, one day in seven, every week, to cease striving. Psalm 46.10 writes, Be still and know that I am God. See, conflict freaks the sheep out, but the shepherd's care and protection casts out fear. God is our good shepherd, and it's his perfect love that casts out fear. 1 John 4.18. He restores my soul. One of God's specialties is restoration. He loves taking things that are broken, undeserving, crooked, bent, seemingly useless to those that are around them. And he loves doing something amazing. Because when God does something amazing in a person or an entity that other people have basically thrown away, then when that good thing happens or when that person rises up out of that dark place, who gets the credit? God does. And he loves getting the credit because the credit that he gets is referred to as his glory. When God receives the glory, it's reproducible. I used to live my life to be the center of attention. Some of you think I still do, but there's a little tweak here. Now, since I have made Jesus not only my shepherd, but my Lord, I live my life so that Jesus will hopefully be the center of attention in everything that I say and do in public and in private. Psalm 21, or Psalm 62, verse 1, David writes, My soul finds rest in God alone, for my hope comes from him. He alone is my rock and my salvation, my stronghold. I shall not be shaken. I learned that when I was a kid. On God, my salvation and my glory rests. My refuge is in Christ, is in him, my rock and my strength. Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. There's just a side note. Read the Bible. Share the Bible with your children, with your grandkids. We used to sing a song that had those words in it, and the verses, that, the scriptures that I memorized when I was a kid, I didn't even realize I was memorizing until when I was 30, mid-30s, and I was in some dark places, and all of a sudden, God pulls out these scriptures and these songs that were in me from 20 years ago. God's word does not return void, and his promises are true. Reading his word on a daily basis gives us his purpose, his perspective, his plan. And it's so good to know, especially in times like this, that God has a purpose, and he has a plan, and he wants to invite us into his perspective so that we don't panic. We don't become like those sheep that aren't ready to receive from their shepherd because we're so afraid of everything that's happening around us. God invites us to lie down. The shepherd makes us lie down in green pastures because our hope in him will never disappoint. Some of you might be worried about provision. You are on leave from your job right now, and it just happened. Some of us just got let go. I mean, more than just we'll see what happens in a month. And it's very difficult to deal with that friction, to deal with those unknowns, to deal with that reality. Where does God fit into this? Does he know? Read the Psalms. God knows. There are people in worse circumstances than any of us, as dire and as dark as it might seem. God is good and faithful and true, and he knows what you need. But he wants to hear your voice, and he wants to let you be in a place where you can hear his. I want to pray for provision 
for those of you who are under serious distress around provision for your life right now. God, thank you for not only knowing what we need, but for being our provider. Your provision is not limited to our income or our lack of income. We trusted you as our father, and as our father, I believe that it is your responsibility and your promise to care for those who are in your family. It is the good shepherd's role to care for the flock. So Lord, get us into a place where we are trusting you and we are submitting to you so that we can be under your protection and in the midst of your provision. Would you align our hearts and our thoughts in a way that would let you be the center of attention in all things so that as you bless us from this point forward, you would receive the glory and not us. In Jesus' name, amen. David goes on. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. One of the things that we've been doing, and I know some of you have been doing it with us, is uh, reading a chapter of the Bible every day. We started this Facebook group back in January called Genesis in January, and about 100 of you started joining us and being part of that journey, and it's been added uh, we trickled that into February, and now we're in the middle of Matthew in March. And in April, we're going to do Acts in April, A-C-T-S, Acts in April. We're going to read through a chapter a day. And so I want to encourage you, if this is something that you want to do, and you have a little extra time on your hands, and you want to figure out how to connect with God in a more meaningful way, go, go, to, uh, go to our Facebook group called Matthew in March. Matthew in March. It's just an opportunity for you to read with a hundred other people a similar chapter every day so that we can really glean from each other and more importantly, glean from God's word as we trust in his purpose and his perspective and his plan. So that's an invitation without an expectation, but it's out there. A shepherd doesn't merely guide us in his truth, but Jesus as our good shepherd leads by his example. It's one thing to say, hey, that's the way. Hope you find it. Or, hey, it's over there. Take a left at the big oak tree. No. The good shepherd says, follow me. And the good shepherd says, I have no longer called you, no longer do I call you servants. Because a servant doesn't exactly know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. And I love how Jesus doesn't ask us to do anything that he wasn't willing to do himself. He leads by example, more than just point in the right direction. He does both. I don't want to persuade people to follow this or to go to this church or to do that kind of behavior. I don't want to persuade people to do anything. I want to love people. And let Jesus in me, by the presence of his Holy Spirit, persuade them that this is the good shepherd. And this is the right path. And this is the path of freedom, hope, and peace, and joy that I've never experienced before. So, I stopped trying to talk people into stuff. I just started being around people more. And I started 700 Facebook groups. So that helps, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, this is what we like to do. We like to be close to Jesus 
and then just live our life. And I shared this last time, I like my motto, I got this from somewhere, but love God, love people, and do stuff. I don't have to persuade people, but I do have to love people. And if I'm loving people with God's love, realizing how much he loves me, then man, they're gonna see him, hopefully, more than they see me any day. And I wanna encourage you to make that your goal as well. Paul said in Philippians 1.21, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul knew what it meant to live for his name's sake. God changed Paul's name from Saul to Paul, but Paul changed his title to an apostle of Jesus, to a disciple of Jesus. Paul wanted Jesus to be present in every time that he was spoken about. And when we live in such a way that Jesus becomes the center of attention, he gets the credit. I have a friend who's part of this church family, and some of you know him. His name is John Pettipiece. John Pettipiece uh, used to play high school basketball. Well, he wouldn't put it that way. He used to be on the team, the third string team. And, uh, and he told me this story, and I was so intrigued with it that I, I wanted to share it with you guys. And he gave me permission. He said, I had made the final cut for my high school basketball team. I wasn't a first stringer. I wasn't a second stringer. I was with the part of the team that helped provide the first and second stringers somebody to practice against in between actual games. Now, when we had our home games, everybody got dressed uh, in uniform. By dressed, I mean putting on the uniform and being a visible part of the team. But for us third stringers, dressing meant that we got to go through the pregame warm-ups with the first and second stringers uh, while the pep band rocked. And then we watched the game from the very good seats in the bleachers. <laughs> the number on my uniform was 32. Typically, only 12 guys got to dress for the away games. Sometimes I'd get that opportunity, sometimes not. Late in the season, after all the uniforms had been distributed, there was a new kid named Carl who had joined our team. He was actually pretty good, so he got to dress for the away games quite a bit. Carl was close to my size, so because... I wasn't planning to use my uniform. He would often wear my number 32 if I wasn't dressing for an away game. Well, one Saturday night, there was just such a game. Carl was number 32 with the team, and I was in my street clothes, riding to Pizza Hut during the second half in the back of a Black Hawk electric van with my posse. On our way, we turned on the radio to see how the team was doing. Suddenly, I heard the radio announcer yell, Pettipiece hit a long jumper from the corner, nothing but net. The radio announcers had been given a team roster that still identified Pettipiece, me, as number 32, not Carl. So everyone listening to the game on the radio that night, including everyone at Pizza Hut, heard what a magnificent game was being played by this Pettipiece kid who happened to be sitting in the restaurant at the time. <laughs> Meanwhile, I was getting high fives between every bite of pizza. So one night, in January of 1972, number 32 played his best game of the season, and I got to share in Carl's glory. I love it. People knew that Pettipiece wasn't playing, but the announcer still called it out, and that's the most airtime John Pettipiece perhaps ever got on that basketball court. But he got to share in Carl's glory, and he knew where that glory belonged. I don't need to promote my name anymore 
I want to live a godly life for his name's sake. And that's what God saw in David, which made him want to be, to choose him as a shepherd of God's people. Verse four, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. No props, just a, just a drink. Sheep are led up and down hills to better pastures. And there's this unique thing about valleys. A lot of shepherds didn't take their sheep to higher ground because it just wasn't worth it. They would lose a lot of sheep along the way. They would die. They would get cold. They would burn and scorch in the heat. Too many waterfalls that were not calm and the sheep would just get scared of the unknown. And truthfully, so would many of the shepherds. But a good shepherd knew that there was rich soil and rich feasting to be had up the mountains. But in order to get there, you had to go through the valleys because you couldn't just keep climbing up the mountain. You had to go through the valleys. And there was a strategy behind this because down in the valleys were the streams that were quiet streams. And so it was a well-watered path so that the sheep would have nourishment that they needed to get through to those higher plains. But there was a big concern with these valleys is that the way that the sun went and the way that the temperature fluctuated between daytime and nighttime if the farmer or the shepherd didn't get those sheep out of a valley by the time night fell, those sheep could freeze and die. And it wouldn't take them long. They're very thin-skinned animals. <laughs> Did I say they're like people? Anyway, um, they would get wet. They might fall into a stream. They might get excited. And the shepherd would need to continue the entire flock, the entire herd up the mountain before the sun would set because the temperature would shift greatly and he could lose those sheep. But he realized that through those valleys, actually some of the deepest valleys where some of the best refreshing water was found. And so I like how David, as a shepherd, says, even though I walk through, through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Here's what I noticed. Walk. Those sheep were not staying still. They would pause for a moment to get refreshed, but they were moving. They were not staying still. They were walking through. God doesn't lead us to the valley of the shadow of death. He, as a good shepherd, leads us through it. Whatever dark place you're in, whatever chaos we're in the midst of, whatever storm you might find yourself in externally or internally, in your own life, in your own family, in your own home, what's going on around the world, God has not led you to death but the good shepherd leads us through the valley of the shadow of death and the valley is a reality in Isaiah 42 he prophesies about the coming Messiah a bruised reed he will not break and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out Jesus is near to the brokenhearted. And he comes to us, and remember, one of his specialties is restoration. The nearness of God is my good. 
one of the Psalms, Psalm 73, says, the nearness of God is my good. I have made the Lord God my refuge that I might tell of all of your works. God is near and he is good. And as I said a few minutes ago, once we realize that God is all we have, we finally discover that he is all we need. Your rod and staff, they comfort me. You notice how the first half of the psalm, he's talking about the Lord is my shepherd. He makes me lie down. He does this. And there's this softening as he's taking this to a more personal level for the rest of the psalm. Your rod and staff, you are with me. God is not a good shepherd that's a dictator and wants to be in control of every little thing. So many people think he is in control of everything, which is why they blame him for so much of the junk that's going on. The stuff that happens in our lives that causes us pain and struggle and suffering and death, those are not necessarily caused by God, but those are used, if we're willing, as an opportunity to meet with him in a very special way. In our darkest valley, God invites us to drink from some of the purest streams of refreshing that can only be found in him. That shepherd's staff that we see in those nice paintings, I'm thinking of little Bo Peep from Toy Story. It's just so pretty and poetic and nice. But that, that staff pulls and pokes and prods and protects. That is as much as we like, you know, our nice little rainbow unicorn picture of a shepherd. This staff is a weapon. And this staff will keep the sheep in line. And this staff is long with a hook so that it can take care of business when it needs to whether it's an enemy or it's an enemy within the flock itself. The shepherd has the entire flock in their mind as they lead them to safe grounds and green pastures. When we, uh, when we moved to our house, we loved our house. It was bigger than a house than we, we realized. It was the first house we really ever looked at, and it's the house we still live in. The only drawback to this house that is kind of on a busy Road. It's like on a busy side street that's kind of a thoroughfare, a.k.a. quarter-mile racetrack, you know. Um, and our kids would love to play out in the front, but we had this rule. We just decided that the rule was that you could not go past the sidewalk. That was a good rule because our young kids didn't have a grid for what it was like to uh, be a driver in a car. And and so we just said, we're going to stop you, you know, seven feet before the actual curb of the street, and you cannot go past the sidewalk. So these kids got used to it. They got, you know, it was like, you know, and they would go up to the sidewalk, and a Frisbee would come, and they'd do this, or if a ball would go over there, uh, they would stop at the end of the sidewalk and <laughs> try to, you know, get it over here. But it took, it took a solid year of intense reminders Reminders, parental reminders to let them know that that was serious. And we said that even if you run towards that sidewalk and don't plan on going into the street, you could create an accident in the street even though you might never be a part of it. We want you to be safe, but we also want you to create a safe environment for those around you. Well, our kids, well, our youngest, Silas, he, uh, he's just always been into footballs, baseballs, 
kickballs. He's just, he's like our athlete. And, and now he's into Frisbee, and he just likes to, he likes to throw things. I mean, coasters are being flung all around our house, probably at this very moment. Uh, and we had a basketball hoop in our driveway, and he was still at the very young end of things. I mean, now he's up here. He's still the youngest, but man, he's taller than all of us. And I was in the living room, just kind of watching the kids playing with the neighbors out there, and one of the balls that they were shooting up in the basketball hoop uh, didn't quite go in, um, shocker, and, uh, and it started trickling down the driveway. And, and I just kind of saw Silas get up, and, and he just started trotting down there. He was just kind of going down to the end of the driveway, and, uh, and I saw this truck coming down the street, and I'm inside the house, and I don't even know how I got out fast enough, but I just swung open the front door as he's running down to the end of the driveway, and I said, Silas, stop! I mean, the whole neighborhood stopped. And I ran out to him, and the ball ran right under that truck. And the kids got to see that take place. And Silas froze, and then he just started crying. And it was a shock. I think every kid on the block started crying at that moment. And I came running out there, and, uh, sorry. And I went out there, and I held him. And I wanted him to know that he hadn't done anything wrong, but I loved him, and I wanted to protect him. I said, buddy, that truck just went right over that ball that you were chasing. And it was great, because in the back of my head, I'm seeing 10 other neighborhood children listening to the lesson that I'm teaching him right now. And... He and those kids will never forget that. Was I a bad dad for coming out and being so strong? And man, why did I have to embarrass him like that? Why did I have to yell so loud? That was my version of the rod and the staff. They comfort me. And those kids on the block would come over to our house all the time. And even more so, after the yelling incident of 2007, and uh, they knew that this was a safe place. They knew that I loved them enough to care and that my discipline was because of my love for them. Proverbs 3.12 says, The Lord disciplines those he loves as a father disciplines the son he delights in. I knew that my dad loved me enough to care. And I didn't always like the consequences that I got, but I knew that it was because he loved me. No discipline seems pleasant at the time. This is in Hebrews 12. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. I don't want to talk about this. No, but it's good. Of course, no discipline seems pleasant at the time. I mean, out of the fruit of the Spirit, I can list the first eight. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and (coughs) 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 self-control. I don't want to submit to others a lot, and I kind of want to do what I want to do still. But the fruit of the Spirit is a package deal. It's not a list of Christian behaviors. It's a list of what we should be producing when we're filled with God his son, and his spirit. So, uh, no discipline is pleasant, but 
it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So it's worth it, and I'm getting better. So I just want to encourage you to be self-controlled, alert, and disciplined, because it's times like this that people are looking for steady folks who are rooted and grounded in God's word and his perspective to be the hope that they don't have themselves. So let's be very careful how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity because the days are evil. Ephesians 5. So let's be wise with our uh, decisions. Let's not be selfish, but self-disciplined. You prepare a table for me. Verse 5. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. So I want to tell you a little bit about anointing with oil and what this means for a sheep. What David referred to as a table was actually the entire high summer range. Though these tables may have been remote and hard to reach, the energetic and aggressive sheep owner takes the time and trouble to ready those tables, those plateaus, those fields, gets them ready for the arrival of his flocks. Early in the season, even before all the snow has been melted by spring, the shepherd will go ahead and make preliminary trips into this rough, wild country. He will look over it with great care, keeping ever in his mind its best use for his flock during the coming season. See, the farmer has a calendar. He knows what the season is going to bring, and he knows what his sheep can handle. God is a good father, and he knows what tomorrow holds. He knows the season that is upon us and the season that is to come. And he wants to prepare us and to prepare the place that we'll be going so that we are ready to face that season with him. My children and I spent days and days going over the ground. This is a shepherd speaking here. Plucking out those poisonous plants. It was a recurring task that was done every spring before the sheep went on these pastures. Although tedious and tiring with all of our bending It was a case of preparing the table in the presence of my enemies. And if my sheep were to survive it, simply had to be done. Another task the attentive shepherd takes is the keeping an eye out for predators. He will look for signs of wolves, coyotes, cougars, and bears. And if these animals ever approach the sheep, he will have to hunt them down or go to great pains to trap them so that his flock will rest in peace. So he prepares a table in the presence of my enemies. It doesn't mean a table with food on it, but it does. A shepherd's table is a flat ground that is even, that is steady, where these sheep can rest free from friction and fear, knowing that they will be well cared for and provided for. That's very applicable to how God cares for us and how he prepares a place ahead of us. I have this dry skin thing, and so at night, oh, it's so frustrating, but I got to put on this ointment when it, like, flares up, and it's just, it's so frustrating to me because I just want to be well, and I just, but I'm not mad about it. I just don't like it. And it reminds me to pray for people who have it worse off than I do. But then at night, I got to put on this ointment, which is kind of messy, and it's just kind of like, 
got all this greasy stuff going on, then I put some gloves on, and it's just like, hopefully the ailment will be, I'm partnering with God's healing to provide some relief for this skin. And it doesn't flare up all the time, but when it does, this is what helps, and the doctor prescribes it, and it's messy, but I can see a difference when I do it. The shepherd would put oil in a sheep's head. Talk about messy. But he would put oil in the sheep's head because what would happen is some of these parasites and these flies, they had these nasal flies that would fly, and, and you could just picture, you know, you go picture out on a farm or at the fair, and you just see these cows and horses and just swatting flies away all the time. And it's just like, you poor thing, would you just leave them alone? You know, but they just like to be around them. And the farmer would, uh, the shepherd would put the oil over their head, around their eyes, and even inside their nose. And so like this ridiculous goop mixture, what would happen is the flies would come around these places and they would either stick to the oil or they would be repelled by it and they would go to find another place. So the sheep would walk around with this oil and it kind of looked ridiculous. But it would keep these parasites and these bugs and these flies from going inside of the sheep. So as messy as it was, it was the caring, knowledgeable hand of the good shepherd that actually created a place of safety and provision for these sheep. And they were happy to endure this oil and this mess because they knew that the one who knew more than they did was there caring for them in a way that only he could. God takes care of us, and a lot of times it's in a messy way that we wouldn't choose. But if we trust the good shepherd to become our Lord, and if the Lord truly is our shepherd, we can walk with him through anything, knowing that he has already gone before us, and he is walking with us, and his hand is ever upon us. That's good news, people. So, are we letting what's going on in the world right now cause us panic and fear? Or do we see it as an opportunity for God to do something amazing in the midst of the mess? Do we see the uh, glass as half empty or half full? You know, the people that see it as half empty just, well, it's going to run out soon. But those that see it as half full are like, man, we could distribute this. Well, maybe something a little more pertinent. Do you see this as half, half empty? or half full. Okay, I'm, nobody rushed this because I'm, I've got, this is being sold on the black market this afternoon for uh, $78, okay? So, well, I suppose the more important question is which way do you spool it? But that's a whole different situation that's not fit for now. But do you see the situation as, oh, no, I'm running out, or hey, let's be a good steward of what we have. And I think in these days, it is critical the opportunity that we've been given by the world situation, by the global pandemic, and by the wisdom of God to do something great in this hour with what we have. And if this place were filled, we'd be going, whoa, preach it, brother! But maybe not. Okay. Surely, goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. We're on the last verse, folks. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Just listen to some of these scriptures that are filled with God's promises for us. 
These things were written that you might know that you have eternal life. This life, this world is not our home. The promises of God are yes and amen. Let it happen. He will never leave us or forsake us. His perfect love casts out fear. Our God neither slumbers nor sleeps. God is love and God is good. He knows what we need before we ask. Last week, Pastor Joe was demonstrating here how close God was, and he was using a couple of chairs, and he would sit down and be like, God, where are you? Don't you see me? Don't you see me? And it was so great because Jesus is like, buddy, buddy, I'm right here. Oh, oh yeah, oh yeah, okay, okay. But then something else happens. God, where are you? Where are you? Don't you see what's going on? Can you hear me? And God's sitting right, buddy, it's so good. I'm right, I'm, right, <clears throat> I'm right here. I've always been here. I haven't left you, and I'm not making any plans to do so. Trust me. I am the good shepherd. If you want true freedom, allow Jesus to be your leader and your Lord. Oh, ah, submission. Authority. I don't like that stuff. And you don't have to. But if you want what's best, not only for this life, but hope for the life to come, God's perspective and his truth, his love and his peace, that comes when we trust in him. And it's hard to trust someone that we're not making our leader. Jesus invites us to make him our leader and our Lord He doesn't force it upon us, but he knows that the pathway to peace and hope that does not disappoint and a fullness of joy that we've never understood in our lives awaits us as we make Jesus our leader and trust in his promises. And finally, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now again, this is not a quarantine sentence. I will dwell in the house. I feel like I'm, well, good, because I'm tired of dwelling in the house that I'm in right now. A disciple patterns their rule of life and behavior after the teachings of another. And like I said, Jesus doesn't just point us to the truth, but he is the truth. And he leads us to the place of that pathway of peace, to the narrow gate where we can find true life, eternal life, hope for this life. A virus will multiply. Fear and panic also multiply sometimes faster than the virus itself. But the love and the power and goodness of God can multiply as well through those of us who have made him our shepherd and our Lord. Jesus is the positive pandemic that this world needs. You and I have the opportunity to embrace this reality, to embody it, and to reveal his love and power to a world who is without hope and looking for help in this hour, right now, perhaps more than ever. As I actively pursue a friendship with God as my Savior and my Lord, He is no longer merely my shepherd and I am His servant. What do you want, Master? No, no, no. He becomes my Lord and I His friend. I want to invite the, uh, the musicians to come on back up here. If we could, we're going to finish up here. But as they're coming, I want to I encourage each one of us 
Because we might be saying, well, how do I engage in this? How do I make Jesus my leader? How do I trust God? How, how do I connect with a sheep? And how does Jesus connect with a shepherd? And what does that really look like? Is that just nice words? Three things that I think will help, and they're very simple. Let God lead. Trust his guidance. And search for his answers. And I know it might seem like maybe to some of us that the Bible is just an old-fashioned, outdated situation. But it's written from a God who never slumbers or sleeps, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, who has perspective from the beginning of eternity to the end. And that's not even mathematically possible. So let God lead. Ask him to lead. So I'm going to pray for us. Um, And I know that there is a lot of fear. There are hurting people. We are in an uncertain time for many of us. But the good shepherd gives us an opportunity to trust in the God of eternity. Trust his guidance, search for his answer. See, God knew that we were frail, fragile, foolish, and he knows that we're hard of hearing, that we make mistakes, that we don't want to be submitted to his plan. He just knows that that's how we work because the very two first people that he created kind of messed up the perfection deal and here we are a product of their selfishness and their sin and so we are born into this sinful and selfish world and then we see sinful and selfish crazy things happening around us and it's not because God's up there punishing us it's because God's letting us have the way that we've chosen and some of the product of that those choices lead us into desperate times and that's when God engages us in the opportunity afresh to say yes to his word to say yes to his plan and to say yes to his love so God sent Jesus Jesus Christ, his son from heaven to come to earth to be fully God and fully man more mathematical equations that don't work out but God's ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts and if I could understand everything that God had planned, then he wouldn't be much of a God. But I need to realize that he has plans and thoughts that are greater than anything I could ever come up with in my own clever way of thinking or anything that I could ever do in my own strength. Jesus came to take the punishment when he died on the cross, but he didn't do anything wrong. Right. He is taking the punishment that you and I deserve what we earn from our selfishness and our sin is death however God's gift is eternal life and that only happens through Jesus Christ our Lord as he died on the cross to show God's love and God raised him from the grave to reveal his power over sin and over death to give us hope 
not just in these dark times, but hope for our lives, hope for our children, hope for our families, hope for our communities, and hope for eternity. I want to pray, and I want to invite everyone out here to join me in this prayer if this is something you'd like to do. Doesn't make it all go away, but it invites God into the mess. And he's someone that I want in the ring with me at all times. So I'm going to encourage you to pray this with me if you'd like. To make Jesus your shepherd and your Lord. God, I've made a lot of mistakes. And I know that you are perfect. Would you enter this mess that is all around me? And would you forgive me of my selfishness and my sin? Thank you, God, for sending Jesus to carry the burden and to take the punishment that I deserve. And you did this so that I could be made right with God. I want to be part of your plan. I want to know what your purposes are in this hour. And I want to walk with you and I invite you to enter my life and walk with me. Thank you for being trustworthy as a good shepherd. Thank you for being trusted as my Lord. Amen. Final thought. God is the same yesterday and today and forever. And he is good and faithful and true. God made us. He knows us. He is able to handle what we need more than we can. Nothing takes him by surprise. And he is with us. I'm going to read this and then I'm going to leave. I wrote this last week as this whole thing got started. I grieve for those who are suffering and I wish they would be relieved. I understand that I might be next, but that's not really for me to say. I want to be well informed and wise with this information. I do not want to be ignorant as I take precautionary measures. However, I choose not to be bound by the narratives of the loudest voices. I want to live with confidence, knowing that my life is not my own. I wish to live without regrets as I love people and care for my family. I have chosen not to live in fear as I embrace my faith in this hour. I have placed my trust in something greater than a virus. I have put my hope in someone greater than me. God bless you guys. Thank you.